Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining. So this is our fourth conversation in the future of Fidgetal Clubhouse, where we are weekly on Monday nights at 9 p.m. for me in Paris um, and for others in the CET time zone. Um, so our topic today is to explore the human touch within digital fashion. So we'll get a bit more into kind of what that means. And um, Katie, our guest, has some really good um, perspective on this. So kind of how we start to transition our skills to this emerging digital space. How do we balance our humanity with progressive imagination? And so also just a reminder, I put a, a red dot in the description, but this talk will be recorded um, just so everybody knows beforehand. So um, for me, I'm Kahlo in URL in this digital world, but then Lauren Ketcher in IRL in real life. Um, I'm a fashion designer with experience in New York, London, Paris, also the founder of the digital luxury label, Alterage, which we'll be launching this fall. So yeah, like in this group, our intention is to explore basically how digital transformation and fashion can make our planet circular, eco-responsible, socially respectful, and individually empowering. So tonight, our conversation will be one hour long, and about after 40 minutes or so, I'll open up this stage, um, since I see lots of people here might have some great questions for Katie. So, and then Katie, right? You're, you, you prefer Katie? Yeah. Okay, great. So yes, tonight we're joined by Katie, and let me know if I say your last name wrong. Is it Child Childmeyer? It's Childmeyer. Childmeyer. Okay, I was not so far. Okay, it's a mouthful. Uh, good. And so she's the founder of KS Apparel Design, um, but also has, I mean, extensive experience across all areas of fashion design development. I mean, when we were speaking before, you told me. I mean, you've really tried everything. Um, and then also adding digital skills such as Daz, Clo, and Blender to your expertise. But maybe you also have worked with other programs as well. Um, and I came across Katie's keynote speech a couple months ago at a digital fashion conference hosted by Anina.net. If anybody else um, was there for that, it was really um, informative. And I will post a link to that in my Twitter um, I think you can find the link to that in my bio. But so, yeah, welcome, Katie. Um, to start out, would you like to tell us a bit more maybe about you, about your background, um, what kind of drew you to the industry? Yeah. Uh, so ever since I was probably about five years old, um, I, I kind of had the the idea to, you know, design clothes. And it really stems from kind of two places. It was growing up in a family with seven other siblings. So money was tight. And of course, they were all different sizes for me. So anything that was a hand-me-down um, generally didn't fit well. And uh, two, it, it came from a space of being othered or being put into a very lonely place with, where people could not identify with me um, due to, you know, socioeconomic background and other things like that. So I was bullied heavily in school and, um, clothing really gave me a voice and it allowed me to find people that were similar in, um, general life philosophy as I had. And it, it really spoke, uh, words that I could not say wholly. Uh, and so I believe clothing is a very human uh, piece for us. And it allows us to communicate when we really don't feel like talking or expressing 
uh, information to other people through dialogue. Um, and so that that really is where everything comes from and, and including the way I work. Um, and uh, I would say I, I had a startup by the time I was 18. I paid my way through some of my schooling with a booth at Portland Saturday Market where I was making handmade goods, recycled goods, um, and selling them to you know people that were really interested in handmade crafts. Uh, and then from there, I graduated from school uh, with graphic design and then um, international manufacturing and design background. Amazing. And really, I love to hear your story about kind of why you started fashion. I mean, this expression of identity without dialogue um, is a great mm -hmm. way, I mean, to think about fashion. Um, so as you have kind of like gone through these different positions, um, did you start to notice kind of pain points in the industry or start to kind of have a focus or was it more about experiencing different parts of it? Um, I think that everything became more organic, which was, uh, maybe more of a controlling aspect of my personality, <laughs> which was like, if, if I saw a problem and I tried to work with a team on that problem, the biggest pain point I think in the industry becomes a place of mediocrity. So um, when you, for example, go out on an interview and I don't, I'm sure other people have had this happen to them where they are maybe more experienced than the director in charge. And so they don't get the job because the director would feel threatened or the head of the department would feel threatened by somebody coming in who maybe had more or slightly different experience that could actually strengthen a team. Um, so that was kind of like one of the bigger pain points and, and why I wanted to learn how to do other things so that I could kind of like take the reins and do other things as well as teach other people how to do those things within a team environment so that you know there was some delegation happening um but then there was um just a little bit more learning happening because oftentimes i see especially in big companies you go in and you know you can be in a position for 10 years and you might get a little bit of learning but not not to the degree that i think would validate people um, and, and so there is a space of this, uh, you know, mediocrity that happens in fashion, at, at wh whether it's within hiring or ego or, um, competitiveness, like I'm, I'm going to push somebody down in, in the sense of not giving them enough education or enough learning abilities and opportunities within their career track to allow them to grow past me or challenge me at the same level. So I see that happen a lot. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was more organic in that approach of saying, I'm going to learn these things if nobody else is going to teach me these things and really taking control of, of my own path. Um, but yeah, I, I would say hiring in a mediocre space is one of the biggest pain points in the industry it does hold us back and um i think it's a it's born out of fear uh which is a, a 
kind of a horrible emotion to live by or even create a company by. Uh, and then the other I, things I've seen have been ageism and uh, even idealism using a, an aspect of what does a fashion designer look like to hire a person for that role rather than really diving deep into what it is that they can bring to the table. And uh, I think the other one is being able to accept different ideas and use them to benefit your company. Um, oftentimes I hear other designers really kind of feeling challenged or overwhelmed uh, with some negative emotion because they're, they're not being heard and those ideas are really being pushed by the wayside uh, to kind of keep the status quo. And again, I think that's, that's a place of mediocrity. Amazing summary. Yeah. I mean, those are definitely pain points. <laughs> like I felt that like firsthand in the industry and I guess maybe you too, like I felt like I wanted to try so many different things, but I was always kind of like being put into a box like, okay, this is your role. This is what you do. Mm -hmm. um, there is like a clear hierarchy of someone above you. But then I guess that's why now I'm like really drawn to like this emerging digital space. This idea of like Web3 is like, how do we kind of remove this hierarchy and, and take it like you said, like, each person has something of value to contribute and how do we then, yeah, collaborate and work together to create, yeah, the industry that has less of these kind of pain points. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, other people can share their, their, you know, instances as well, uh, whether it's on Twitter or, you know, LinkedIn, but I think that the more you share, the better off we are and, um, I think, you know, in terms of HR, there there can be a lot of nepotism that happens where somebody is hiring their friends in and things like that. And, and you're not really changing the landscape. It, I think a good example is when Nike was really faced with some situations uh, regarding um, uh, firsthand within friends of mine who worked for the company and, you know, they would complain about some of those types of situations, but they weren't going directly to, you know, a, another entity. And I, again, that's part of the mediocrity where things get suppressed. They don't talk about the problems uh, and solutions and they, they just kind of want to keep going with the status quo rather than really challenge themselves to overcome and create a space that um, is extremely empowering and only makes things better. Yeah, totally agree. So then would you say maybe like kind of upskilling is a, a potential solution for, for that to kind of negate this, these uh, pain points that we had? Was that kind of a reason you started to transition to, to more digital things? Um, yeah, well, it was both to problem solve some uh, some uh, kind of like fit issues uh, because I'm a, a bit of a more of a fit person um, when I'm working with design. And the other was uh, more upskilling my own talent as a consultant and a freelance person. Uh, and through that journey, I had several epiphanies about the technology uh, and, you know, acted as a very vocal person 
uh, in my findings. And through that, I was actually able to work with um, more 3D parametric companies and give them my insights and let them see how we work uh, within 3D so that you know, it, when they were going to go sell their product to people, they were selling, uh, I would say, a ethically thought out product, because one of the bigger things I was seeing in learning 3D was that there were a lot of 3D companies at that time, which was like 2016, 2017, that were selling their product but not discussing what it couldn't do. It was only discussing like what it could do and kind of like saying it could do everything, which in regards to fit design over ideation design, it, it, there's still points that are lacking in that. And, you know, I, I was coming at it from it, like, let's say you're a startup. And that startup only has a certain amount of capital. Let's say it's 250K capital. So they're really bootstrapping through and making a small micro collection. And they wanted to use 3D as a means to reduce their, you know, sampling process, some of their design process and those types of things. Uh, I was seeing that they were hitting walls when it came to you know, actually making production-based samples in, in 3D for swimwear or for bras um, or even for plus-size bodies where you're dealing with tissue overlap in several spaces and you really have to kind of work with how the skin folds um, overlay and how the cloth will have to sit within that space. So, 3D does not allow you to do that effectively. You can ideate in it with those types of things, but you can't turn around and create a, a prototype out of it. So if you're wagering whether you're going to spend 50K as a startup on new technologies and you can't create a production-based sample off of it in the genre that you're working within, then it becomes problematic. And uh, I would say that was one of the reasons why I became vocal about what I was seeing that the systems could not do for us as designers. Yeah, great. Yeah, we spoke before about kind of this idea of reality versus idealism. And so that's really interesting that, I mean, you see, I mean, there's, it's the digital, right? It's like, yeah. um, how do we combine like the clear benefits that technology brings, whether it's a reduction of samples, um, instant uh, visualization, but mm -hmm. then how do we balance that, right? With like our, our physical side of getting like the proper fit, because I know especially what like swimwear can be really tricky. Um, mm -hmm. um, so for you, like, are there like when, times you would use the digital times you would use the physical like how what's your kind of process and like how you bring that together uh well 2d is extremely important in i think the 3d process so oftentimes i kind of do quick sketching through concepts um just to kind of flesh them out in the thought process a little bit and also just to be a little bit more editorial and then Whatever is left over from, you know, general concepts uh, in terms of their creativity, I'll move that into uh, the 3D process. So this is where I ideate 
And I have found if, especially if, uh, let's say you're a freelance designer and a client comes to you with an idea that you know is just not going to make it, but you, you know, to explain that to them uh, is one thing when, you know, many people actually have to learn that process of why it would fail. Uh, And 3D kind of allows you to do that before you start ordering sample fabric, before you start creating a pattern and going down the, the fit rabbit hole, you can really kind of cut to the chase and create the design within that space and be able to show them, well, this is how it would actually live in the world. And then they can walk away saying, oh, you know, I'll, I'll leave that one on the table. Let's move on to the next idea. Uh, the other one I use it for is um, doing unified uh, design works through different size uh, offerings. So if I'm, let's say I'm working within uh, women's wear and I want to do juniors, misses, and plus, uh, not everything in terms of design looks the best on the shape of the body that you're applying it to. So as something grows in scale, it can actually begin to look bad on a larger scale person than it does on a smaller scale person. So what I try to do is use 3D in that sense where I can turn around and really see how things scale out through the different size digital avatars that I have. And then from that, I can kind of say, well, maybe we use the same fabric as we're using in, you know, size two through six or two through eight on this product. And we make it for those sizes. And then we turn around and make a different fit, same textile, same kind of look. And we apply it to, you know, the eight through 22 or 24, or however, you know, high you're going so that you can create this continuity and people don't feel left out, but they also begin to start understanding that fit and shape of body and form um, are aspects that they should weigh out when they're purchasing products. So I I use it more for that than anything else. And um, of course I'll use it as well when I'm, doing more technical design work and I have to, you know, send off templates for patterns and things like that. So it just depends on what the message is that you're trying to convey as a brand, I think, and how you're approaching uh, the workflow that you have, what um, you know is successful, what you know isn't successful, and also uh, testing out new ideas and being able to share those in focus groups through 3D allows you to kind of accomplish a lot and put your money where it's needed. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, totally agree. Like everything kind of has its strengths and then really trying to optimize that. So, right. Like I was watching one of your videos. Um, I'm going to post it on my Twitter. We'll see if I can multitask, but it's um, (laughs) called 3D fashion design workflow and technical expectation. Right. I have the title correct. Yeah. So it really breaks it down. um, Katie's workflow. um, And I learned a lot just by, by watching that. 
Um, but I guess that also kind of segues into another topic we really wanted to discuss was, mm-hmm. I guess, how can we be inclusive and human in this new digital emerging world? Since, I mean, right to we were speaking before, we're starting <laughs> to see like these really like, I don't know, big busted like avatars. <laughs> like I look at this, I'm like, I so don't look like that. <laughs> Do I want to see something that looks more like me that is more in my own image? So I know you have a lot. Yeah, yeah you'd like to share about that. Yeah, um, and and this really like came about more with within actually using 3D for you know trying to figure out broad development and really you know researching how other companies were using 3D in that space um, because let's face it we're all different sizes there, <laughs> um, but it it also came down to a place of really also taking into account the the consumer and you know what their life was like and and how the product would exist and so I didn't want to put the design on an avatar that looked you know kind of emotionless and you know stiff and stagnant I wanted it to exist in you know a space of humanity and you know that we move and that we're soft and that we're um imperfect and we come in different ages and sizes and colors and and uh really kind of I wanted that my avatars to look like that and so I did some research uh with consumers and I it was all a visual data survey and I was posing questions to women and men of different sizes and trying to figure out how they visually see forms and bodies and uh, basically avatars. And what I found was that there became a lot of disconnect um, with the human form at a certain age or a certain size or after a certain life event. So for example, a lot of consumers will fall uh, prey to the idea that a brand has changed their sizes after they've had a child without really realizing that their own bone structure has actually changed in the way it, you know, they even sit the way their hips tilt. Um, you know, they might develop more of a tilted uh, kind of sway back type pelvic floor over time, or they become, you know, uh, their posturing becomes more sloped as they age. And after that, you know, child birthing experience, a lot of bodies will change. And so then the woman goes back once they lose all the weight to buy from the same brand that they've bought prior to their first child. And in that process, they're like, oh, the brand must have changed because I haven't worn it for like six months, right? well, no, your body's changed and, you know, you have to kind of go shopping again and realign with the brand in a fit that works to the new change in your body. And through digital avatars, I was actually, you know, able to create those things, especially in DAS 3D, where I can work with more of that bone structure and the weight of the body and the size of the breast or aging of the skin. For men, it was really important to kind of 
cover their posturing um, and shoulder slope and the way that they gain weight so that I could make product that actually looked like them. Uh, and that was kind of eye-opening to see that women uh, after certain life events in their their life were not connecting to this concept of, well, my body's actually changed. So therefore I might have to, you know, go out and look for other product from what I was used to. Um, so in that space, I began more research and found uh, through, there's a great study that um, I kind of shared with you and I'll post it on my Twitter a little bit later and through LinkedIn, but it's um, basically a study about how video gamers using digital avatars, uh, especially gamers that spend probably 12 hours or more a week, 10 to 12 hours or more a week, um, actually begin to uh, have almost a bipolar association with self. And this happened both for men and women. And oddly, it, the study showed that men were more affected by kind of body dysmorphic issues and idealism within their digital avatars than women were. And basically it's the study states that People who were playing with these digital avatars that were idealized were walking away with much lower self-esteem, even after 15 minutes of being kind of like hit with that information over and over again. So if it was like the perfect body all the time, right, when they had to slip back into their real life, the identification process between mind and body was much poorer than it was prior to not being exposed to the, that, that type of data, but also it was creating a kind of a um, deadening of attraction to other humans <laughs> because they wanted the ideal human that they were seeing through the, the gaming avatar rather than the real life human that sits in front of them. So um, in, in that way, it was also creating kind of like this dissection between their, their sexuality of attraction to, you know, their fellow humans over these digital avatars. Um, and so I felt that was actually also really interesting. So when we walk away from our faults and we try to make perfect avatars or idealized aspects of beauty, we're actually creating a really mentally unhealthy environment for consumers and, you know, as I call it, our neighbors. And I want my neighbor to be healthy. So my approach in avatar development is to keep it very human so that people understand that they're all different and that we can accept those differences and we're all beautiful as well. Oh my God, I'm so happy we're recording this. <laughs> that was a great line. We should write that down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally know what you mean. Like if we even go back to the 90s when I was a child, um, like looking at magazines, like you look at a magazine, you see someone that doesn't look like you and you're at that, especially at that age, you're looking to connect with someone that either resembles you or on a personality level you can connect with. And 
I don't have like exact statistics, but even with like these filters, like we have all these space mm -hmm. filters now. And I'm sure that has also an effect of starting to even want to look like this strange, uh, glowy eyed kind of uh, filter. <laughs> but so then I guess um, if I guess maybe we have kind of two options, like we can create avatars mm -hmm. that are kind of really like us. Um, that embrace faults that aren't perfect and then I guess we can also create something fantastical but then maybe exactly. accept right that it's not reality that <laughs> it's uh it's fun it's yeah exploratory yeah. oh yeah like uh, give me a fairy any day or a dragon any day and I'm like super happy with that <laughs> um but that's you know and that's me playing in the fantasy land and being artistic so it'll we can be super artistic and super bubbly and fun or dark with whatever we're trying to portray, because I believe that that's a part of acting. And I, you know, it does allow us to kind of play as adults, which I think is extremely important for our creativity. Uh, but when it comes down to, you know, if we're given the option, so like you said, you would, um, you know, open up a magazine and, and there was this ideal form of beauty. And we can see how that affects even other cultures in the world. So people who, you know, are bleaching their skin because um, they believe that having lighter skin is more beautiful than their dark skin, which, you know, in America, we're like, <laughs> we, have, we like dark skin. Um, and so it's interesting to see how that you know, proliferates through the world. And uh, I think we're at this space and time in digital fashion where we have this wonderful opportunity to engage with healthy mental health practices for the consumer over, you know, going back to the old system of like idealism, which is, again, one of those hiring flaws that I've seen where people say, oh, well, you know, you're old rather than saying, well, what is your mental age? Like, how old are you upstairs before you look in the mirror? Um, and I'm 44 and proud of it, but my mental age is 25. And so I'm able to pull on, you know, youth concepts and understand them fully uh, and even play with some of those uh, while I'm also able to look into the past and see what worked and what failed, you know, what was a failure and use that to benefit people. So um, I, I think going forward, when you're working in a space where, let's say you are using digital avatars in your marketing media and it's it, like your campaign is um, body inclusivity, right? then make people different ages, make people, um, you know, flawed because in that they, they see part of themselves and they're actually more readily able to buy online uh, through a digital avatar that looks like themselves over one that's, that doesn't look like them at all. So um, I think in that sense, we have a great opportunity to, take a hold of our future and say, let's make it more mentally healthy um, and help our consumers along that path. But let's also play, of course, and really go uh, out into the left field of creativity 
and bring back something truly unique. Yeah, and I mean, I definitely believe we can do both, like uh, mm -hmm. be yeah, balance the two together. And um, I'm going to bring up uh, anyone who has a question. I see John has one um, mm -hmm. just after this point, um, but I think you've already started to answer it. But yeah, so like, how can we start to kind of introduce faults or authenticity to our digital, not maybe twin or avatar? <laughs> um, you mentioned we're like inclusive on age. Is there other um, kind of um, recommendations? So. Um, there, I mean, there's lots of things that you can do and it really just comes down to like where you're at in your own, um, I think career path in regards to, to digital, uh, tools that we use in 3d. Um, but I mean, a big one is Daz because they, they have more of like a quick plug and play kind of thing where you can put in the morphs and then work with those. Um, and then if you wanted to, you could, you know, use a whole other range of products from, you know, uh, I really like the MetaHuman uh, with Unity. Uh, so I've been working with that since probably March and it's, you know, developed over time and watching users like us as beta users kind of interface with it. So I really like MetaHuman. Um, the Daz, as I've said before, has uh, different morphs that you can buy and plug in. Uh, and then you can actually, so there are certain companies that will do parametric form scans for you. Um, TC2 is kind of like the manufacturer of all the body scanning uh, systems that you know are sold to several different parametric companies. But you can, you know, if you have a specific thing in mind, you can ask those companies to scan a specific body or, or form for you. Uh, and then from that, you can use the wireframe to change and modify and um, uh, enhance different attributes that you want paid to have, you know, the consumer pay attention to. Uh, you can use... Uh, Adobe uh, Substance Products. So that was uh, actually bought up from a company called Algorithmic. Uh, you can use uh, Forger, you know, 3ds Max, Autodesk, Blender. So if you understand how to modify your wireframe, of course, you can use all those to, you know, create and enhance your avatar in different ways. Uh, it just depends on where you're at in your path and also how much time you have to give to those types of changes. Uh, Daz 3D allows you to do it a lot faster. So I tend to go for that a lot more. But if I can't get what I want in that, I might actually use their other program called Hexagon or I move it into um, the Forger program. Uh, and that's... Uh, put on by uh, Maxon or the same company that runs Cinema 40. And, you know, if I'm using it, like if I really just want to be a pattern drafter designer, you know, like I, I'm making my own like small collection, kind of like you are with jewelry, um, you would use a different program for jewelry than you would apparel, obviously. But if you want apparel, you can use, you know, Tukatek, Lectra, Gerber, uh, mm -hmm. since they're now the same company. 
and then uh, Tukatech, Optitech, Flow3D, the list goes on for that. Um, I would say you want, if you're not a good pattern drafter, learn it uh, because you'll need those skills within those programs to, to really enhance and do what you want to do uh, for production pattern making. And then, um, yeah, if you want more animation or you want to work with different types of painting tools, uh, there's also several programs for that. Amazing. Thanks for the, the breakdown on all those programs <laughs> and workflows. And yeah, right now I'm posting on Twitter um, the your tutorial and then as well as um, Katie recommended some courses for me because my next step is Blender and sh you um, it's on Plural site, right? I think it's yeah. the, the, the yeah. link. So I'll post those as well. And welcome, John. Welcome. And uh, if you have any questions and comments. Hey, Katie, great yeah. information. Just absolutely loving it. And these threads have crossed my path on a couple of different levels. First, love to hear, you know, your comment about ageism. Interesting as it, you know, has a cross with metahumans and so on. I just had my 60th birthday. And nice. One, yeah, right. And, you know, three years ago was named the number three influencer for VR worldwide. So, you know, I, I think age mental age is so much more important. And exactly. it's honestly one of the reasons just very uh, to be candid. One of the reasons that I have, you know, you see this avatar um, as, you know, my avatar is because it deflects a lot of that ageism. Yeah, it, mm -hmm, absolutely. Now, this avatar spinning off what you said, you know, this is was based on a 3D scan of me. And if you were to look at my avatar and you were to look at m my physical picture, you would immediately recognize that the two of us were, you know, brothers, twins. Yeah. Um, so for me. That's that from an identity standpoint, I've worked hard to make those two things very similar. Yeah. Um, my question to you is, and you were talking about size and so on, and I'm working on a project right now that that crosses these boundaries um, in terms of displaying digital humans in public spaces and mm -hmm. using using 3D information about people in that process, do you see 3D scanning as something that's going to be in the mainstream in the next year where instead of people walking into just a standard um, changing room, they're going to walk in and they're going to get a 3D scan of themselves and they're going to know exactly what size clothing they need. And are you going to see CSC brands respond to that by finally, after forever, saying, okay, our clothes are this size and sizes become a real standard and they're a human standard where we're measuring people, you know, with basically creating a wireframe and then creating the clothing yeah. off that. And that's the question. Um, well, that question has a few moving parts to it, but... Um... First off, I would say I don't see it being uh, within the common market um, within the next year as being something that's used by, you know, 
60% of the population. I see that more actually by like maybe 2027. And that only has to deal with more of the hardware and the financial expand, uh, like investment that you would need to implement those types of machines within, um, you know, physical spaces. And really it's, it comes down to, you know, finance, manufacturing of parts and time uh, and then collecting the data and, and being able to like fuse that into a system. So I, I don't see it, that being like really commonplace until about 2027, where I think that that will be much more present in physical spaces and be very common, you know, common for us to use um, in regards to unif unification of sizing. Um, because we have different body sizes over time, uh, my sister's a chiropractor. And so we work together on, you know, interesting projects with each other and, uh, we get down to kind of like the muscle skeletal and health relationship. And I think, um, it, when you also take into consideration anything that doctors are using, you have to evaluate the physical health, um, the age, and obviously the weight disbursement of the body to create the fit. And there's a probably, I, through some of the parametric companies that I worked with, there's about 36 true, you know, body types that they've been able to get from about 6 million body scans. Uh, and that means that you're going to have different mathematical considerations in the pattern making, as well as the textile used to create that shape for that type of body structure. So the biggest problem that exists is that consumers don't understand that, you know, it's, our bodies are not one size fits all when they go in to buy a product because they do want it simplified. And unfortunately, the way the mathematics work in pattern drafting and fit does not allow us to say, well, this is like the perfect thing for everybody. So instead, we have to maybe use a shape process like we used back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s and 80s, where people could understand that they had a different body shape and they had to buy to the shape rather than the number or because I mean, I can take a person who's, you know, five foot four and weighs 120 pounds and a person who's um, five foot seven and weighs 120 pounds and they will be completely different sizes, the way their weight disperses on the hip structure, the crotch, the um, rise of their butt. Uh, all of that kind of stuff, even the gait in which they walk, uh, will be different. And so, you know, that's that's been the hardest part for for consumers to understand is that they mathematically are different, and they've got to um, have a better relationship with their body. And us as designers actually really should be teaching them that. Uh, because it's exactly what a pattern drafter has to do when they go in to make a pattern is, well, I've got to measure the person. I can't just like 
say that they're a size eight and go off of the, you know, international um, body metrics that are out there that they can use because they're again, like, well, how tall is the person? You know, what is their body weight? I can use all these measurements, but if I don't know those other variables or even like, you know, um, if you're in menopause, you will have weight shifts between the upper part of your body and the lower part of your body due to the hormone shift that's happening inside your body. Um, and if you're unaware of how to control those things, the shift happens very kind of slowly. So you don't really notice it. And then one day all your clothes don't fit. So, <laughs> and you go back to the same brand to try to find the clothes that you want, but you've just had a massive life change, uh, biologically. So you actually have to go back to the drawing board and find product that does fit for the new body change that you just had. And, you know, so that I don't see the unification of sizes ever being a, a thing unless you're using clothes that modify to size like they used in the Middle Ages, where you had, you know, side straps that would lace up or um, they would, you know, make oversized blouses and then you would use your vest to control the silhouette. And um, that that's how poor people dressed at that time because clothing was so expensive. So they everything was geared to adjust with their size as they aged. Hope that and, helps. Yeah, it does. So when I go in to get a suit, I stand, the tailor takes my measurements, mm -hmm. uh, comments on whether, you know, I'm sticking to my fitness regimen or, or maybe uh, yeah. or, or maybe or maybe have been uh, having a little too much pasta and yeah. he makes yeah. he makes adjustments. Yeah. Do you see do you see a real time kind of AI driven tailoring option uh, before that 2027 date that you mentioned? Mm, I've I've seen companies try. So uh, I've helped uh, Belladonna with some of their kind of like structuring in their company. And basically, they're, you know, a made to measure company. Um, and it, the biggest challenge they were having was kind of like an accuracy of uh, posturing or um, that the right nation of being able to have, you know, an AI driven kind of tailored process, but that actually might come uh, more closer to something like 2030. Um, again, given the fact that you have to kind of have like baseline data coming at you from the body scans that you're getting initially in order to kind of like basically, you know, create the little child of AI for that type of product. I think it's something that's being worked on, but they, you know, you need a considerable amount of information and in how body forms grow and change over time. And then you create your algorithm to put into the system, which then will modulate and be able to change according to, you know, all of the inputs that it's, it's kind of calculating in on a general body scan. 
Yeah. So is there kind of an option then maybe between custom and our like traditional fashion, like sizing system? Would it be like a demi measure? I'm not sure the name, but where you have a block, but you can still customize, I mean, maybe some key essential measurements. Would that kind of be how? It yeah, it, I mean, it would be a little bit more of that where, yes, it, you know, the AI system could kind of obviously take the block uh, for, you know, whatever that that is. And then you would, um, you know, it would also take into account, like, when was the last time you were scanned? Uh, what age are you now versus then, right? And, and utilize other aspects of like, oh, well, is this person now moving into a place of, you know, menopause? Did you just have a baby? Did you, you know, what are these life events occurring that might change that algorithm? Um, and then, of course, it would be able to make those types of modifications or measurements, and then you would you would then create the product, or it would also be able to possibly tell you where to alter those products. Um, and you know, from from that standpoint, I see that as being you know, the same system that we use kind of now with humans, <laughs> it's just getting it loaded into a system to create the algorithm for not just, you know, the age and weight of a person, but also their um, ethnic background, because people from different ethnicities do have some different body shapes and markers that have to be accounted for as well. So it, it's just some of those things that that scientifically speaking would have to be you know tracked to create the algorithm to then load into the system yeah our bodies are definitely complex <laughs> that's for sure but uh, welcome Ayush welcome hey. back. Uh, questions I, I actually had something to add on to like John's point about the custom sizing Mm -hmm. So maybe you guys already know. So Adidas, they launched a project last year. Actually, not even last year. It was in 2019. It's called Adidas Futurecraft. Mm -hmm. where they're actually building a whole assembly line where you can, in future, you can have like your foot scanned in 3D. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to like 3D print your shoe exactly as per your scan. And, That's awesome. And this is actually going to be like a, consumer centric thing like people will be able to buy this so mm -hmm. i think that's like the closest thing we have to like a mass like industrial scale custom thing yeah and also apart from that like as for the body scanning so there are like i i don't exactly remember the name of the company but there, but there's a company based in turkey what mm -hmm. they do is that they make like e-commerce integrations yeah. for size calculation so what essentially you have to do is like you download their app on your phone mm -hmm. and it uses your phone cap so what you do, like you basically hover the phone around your body and it mm -hmm. makes a 3d scan just from your camera yeah and it creates a virtual profile out of that and yeah. yeah so i feel like that's like the closest thing we have at the moment but i i definitely think this could like uh, this is going to develop like as like literally next three years where it's going to be quite accessible for normal people to have 3D scans and then 
integrate that into 3D printing or at other outlets like e-commerce outlets where you yeah. can just know your exact size. Well, and the so the thing with uh, parametric body scanning and phones that you do have to consider is, um, for example, your posturing and even like for women, the bra that they wear, like let's say they're wearing a sports bra, but they they want a blouse made for them. If they scan yeah. their body with that sports bra on, it's only accounting for the exterior shape. And so then you're like, basically the point of your breast in a blouse sits differently because your bra is different than if it was in the sports bra, right? So yeah. my, my breasts get compressed down and flattened out a bit when I'm wearing a sports bra. So then when I go to put on a blouse, it's going to be a lot more baggier up in that area if it's made. And then I'm going to be like, well, that doesn't fit me right. I'm sending it back because this custom fit isn't right. And the consumer didn't realize, oh, well, I have to wear certain undergarments that I would normally wear with it. To, in order for it to fit that that kind of like exterior body body measurement that the 3D scan pulls. The other cofactor in that is that current systems, especially like if you're so if you're a plus size person and your your uh, breasts hang over your underbust measurement, right? The under best measurement is extremely important for creating kind of like the overall bodice area um, and then figuring out what the breast area is with that upper measurement. But when it hangs over it, the system will then actually take your breast fat and tissue and feed that into the underbust measurement. Therefore, it adds like three to four inches to that measurement. And you end up with a, a very irregular fit in the upper bodice area. So in, the, in terms of like 3D scanning, the systems uh, basically has to, you know, figure out how to learn the difference between those two areas. And there hasn't been a solve for it, which is why we don't use it um, for actual bra production patterns, because it it fails every time. And um, sadly, I've seen companies, you know, invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into trying to make 3D bras only for it to fail. And the same thing happened with Zozo Soup. So Zozo Soup had the suit with the, you know, dots all over it. And you would oh, yeah. take a picture of it. And not only myself, but about five other fit techs sent them messages saying, this is not good. You're, you're going to end up in, you know, hitting the wall in these areas because the, the technology is only so good. And eventually uh, he had to declare bankruptcy, you know, within that because it, it, it had failed and he, you know, had, reviews on the website that were basically like it took six weeks for you know people to get the product in that six weeks they maybe were eating too much pasta <laughs> and you know gained a little weight and then by the time they got product it didn't fit or it wasn't equating for those 
very key landmark measurements we need in pattern drafting due to the tissue overlay. So people that really, you know, conceptually would benefit from a body scanning thing in the consumer's mind uh, through surveys happens to be plus size people. They think that they'd be the, the best to benefit by it, but they're actually the ones that require the old process more than trying to streamline a new process. And that simply comes down to the fact that the more, uh, uh, the more we gain weight or um, the more we do pattern drafting and we see that the mathematics aren't lining up between the top and the bottom of the body because the, the body has beautiful math when we're healthy and everything kind of like sinks into place and falls into mathematical alignment, uh, you know, golden ratio type stuff. But when we start becoming unhealthy, we actually start seeing these strange mathematical shifts in the body. And it's something doctors see. So there's case studies for that within medical. Pattern drafters can see that. And when we're dealing with, you know, let's say it's somebody who is in a morbidly obese way, we don't want to exclude them at all. We want to actually make clothes that make them feel happy so that they can be happy in their life because they are possibly struggling with many other things, but with 3D body scanning the way it wants to configure the math, it's only taking the exterior shell and not equating things like tissue overlay, um, uh, lymphedema that causes irregularity from one leg to the other, which we can see in body scanning, but we don't get like very accurate measurements. And so those people are actually benefited more by the 2D manual process than the 3D process. Hopefully that helps answer some questions. Yeah, definitely. I believe there's like so many limitations to this, like especially your Zozo suit point, like Zozo suit just wasn't practical for people of all sizes. And mm -hmm. so that's definitely not a solution, which I think like not a commercial solution, at least. No. which we can move forward with and also like there are other companies like tg3d who are mm -hmm. very good at developing 3d body scanners like i yeah. i personally had a i personally used it but as you said it really picks up the outer shell of your body and if like so you really need like super form-fitting clothes to get the right measurement and yeah. even on top of that there's like a, it's probably not going to be accurate so I yeah I have no idea how Adidas is going to execute this because they claim that they're they're going to do it by 2022 for at least athletes. Mm -hmm. Oh so yeah, that, that's really interesting. Like I find that like that's like literally now. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's that's what it's I wanted to add. I mean, I think that I think I love the foot thing because you know, as my sister is a chiropractor, she's always looking for like the next best thing. And so I know it's something that she's looked into for her own patients uh, so that they can kind of be relieved of back pain and walk, walk in a much healthier fashion. So um, that's something I'll pass along to her actually. And also another thing which I wanted to add was the cost because mm -hmm. like at the moment, 3d printing a shoe is very expensive 
And even when Adidas came out with their first 4D prototype, it was like $30,000. So that's definitely not happening. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's like, that just makes me even more curious. How are they going to do it by next year? Yeah. And it, and I feel like once Adidas comes through with it, there's going to be a bunch of other brands suddenly popping up with similar technologies oh, in for sure. different areas. So, yeah, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it refines and develops. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, we'll have to cut our, our, our conversation now. We're at the hour, but I'm so happy that um, we had the, the time to discuss with you, Katie. I mean, you're so knowledgeable about all these different topics. Um, I mean, our bodies are so complex um, and learning like <laughs> how to not blame ourselves for these biological changes and to um, introduce humanity and our faults back into our design. So... Thank you so mm-hmm. much um, for joining us and for everyone who is here. Um, be sure to follow Katie. Um, either I think you can find some links right on your profile, um, also yep. LinkedIn. Um, and I also just post uh, tweeted. <laughs> um, my, my, my Twitter is colo.url, um, and I just posted um, Katie's video. So really good resources. And also, if anyone wants to be featured on an upcoming session, just, uh, give me a shout, and I'll um, and we'll have a chat. So... Thank you guys so much. Um, Have a great rest of your night. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks.